Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Rocks Pile Podcast, part of Fan Sided Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Kevin Henry and Noah Yingling. Hey everyone, welcome to the Rocks Pile Rockies Report. My name is Kevin Henry. I am one of the co-experts on RocksPile.com. Pleased as always to be joined by my friend and fellow co-expert for the Rockies, and that is Noah Yingling. Noah, how are you, man? I am doing great, especially that it's not in single-digit temperatures here. But I know for our guests, we I don't know if he can say the same thing. Well, and you know, you you are the quintessential setup man. You are quite literally Daniel Bard last season. Great job. That would be uh, our guest today. Uh, thrilled to have our buddy from Call to the Pen. The, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to say co-expert for Call to the Pen because I'm lucky enough to share that with him uh, now. And that is Dave Hill calling in from beautiful Vermont. Dave, how are you, man? Doing all right. It's actually 21 degrees here now, even though the wind chill says zero. <laughs> wow, it got up to 21. That's the first time in what, a month? <laughs> Roughly. <laughs> it was negative seven this morning. Ugh. Oh, yikes. Well, it makes Colorado seem balmy, so I'll take that. So, well, hey, you know, Dave, Dave has done uh, one of those guys who keeps up with all the teams all across MLB. And so it's a great time for us to start talking about the Hall of Fame and kind of what we're seeing so far with voting trends things along that line. And Dave, while I have you on, I know you're not a Rockies guy like Noah and I are, so I'd love your outside opinion. Todd Helton, Hall of Fame, where does he fit in in your mind? I think Helton's a guy that's eventually going to get it. Um, He strikes me as having a very Scott Rowland-ish path um, where he didn't get a lot of support at first, but you can see the numbers steadily increasing. Um, As the newer voters are coming in, it seems as though the stigma of Coors Field and the uh, the thought that if you're an offensive player in Colorado, your numbers are artificially inflated because of being in Coors Field is going away. You saw with Walker being inducted and how his numbers started to climb up. And I think you're going to see the same sort of thing with Helton. Um, he's not getting in this year, but it wouldn't be a surprise if seven, eight, ninth year on the ballot, we're starting to talk about a very realistic chance that he's going in. And, and Dave, I know you and I have talked on Slack and other times about how, you know, you said the Scott Rowland path, and I, and I agree with you completely, but it also feels a little bit like the Larry Walker path as well, that it took so long for him to finally get that momentum and get over the hump. Agreed. With Walker, he not only had the course field issue, but he also had the Montreal Expos issue where you know, his best seasons came with a team that no one really paid attention to for, because they were outside the U.S. And then in a place where the ball just flew, so he was kind of discounted until people took a real close look and said, hey, this is actually a really good player, 
and one that, you know, he's got a better case than maybe we gave him credit for. So, no, I'm going to throw it at you because I know you and I talk Helton all the time. We've had stuff on the Rockspile side about how Helton is going along. Is there anything that surprised you so far, whether it comes to Helton's numbers so far or just the overall ballot? Um, overall, there was – I thought that um, that David Ortiz might get a little bit more traction. Um, I mean, it looks like he's going to get in, but it looks like it's going to be in the 75 80% range. And I thought he might get closer to 85, 90%. But for some of them, like, for example, I, I know for Fansite, we submitted our ballots of all the site experts and all that. And it was weeks ago now. And there was a few where I'm like, okay, I wouldn't have thought this guy's a Hall of Famer. But looking at his stats, I'm like, wow, this guy's actually got a better case than I thought. Now there's like, for example, one guy that I think falls in that category that might not even get the 5% requisite to stay on for next year's ballot is Mark Teixeira. Teixeira, I mean, he's got, uh, is he, is he Ken Griffey Jr.? No, but I mean, he's got, I believe, let's see, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine seasons of 105 RBI or more. He's got eight, nine seasons of 30 plus homers. He in 2009 came in second in the AL MVP. And then he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven other times. He got MVP votes, won a few gold gloves, actually five gold gloves, won a few silver sluggers. I mean, he's got a decent case, but he's got, only a handful of votes and he's going to have a hard time even getting 5%. And that's as we, of the three of us know the past decade or so, there's been some guys where, okay, maybe they're not hall of famers, but you'd think, okay, they'd be able to at least get 5% of the vote. Yeah. Kenny Lofton is a great example. He's arguably one of the best center fielders of all time, probably top 10. And he fell off the ballot. And because he had I, maybe two or three votes. I, well, he, he had 3% of the vote. He fell off the ballot first time. And he's, if you, especially like if you look at war, he was a 68 war player. That's, that's pretty good. Absolutely. It, it was, you know, and, and you mentioned Ortiz. And, and I think everybody, it's, it's been very interesting to see the reaction building up to the voting because I think there are some out there that are like, oh, he's a shoe in first ballot guy. And then there's others that have questions about Ortiz, whether that's, you know, the, the questionable PED test, whether that's the green monster and everything that happens. And it's always interesting to me to hear people discount Red Sox hitters for the green monster, or the Yankees for the short porch or whatever it might be. You know, and it's just a reminder to us here in Colorado that sometimes, yeah, their players get dinged for things as well. But Dave, I know you've got a really interesting article coming out on Call of the Pen about David Ortiz and you know, yep. and, and one voter who seems to have it out for him a little bit. Yeah, Dan Shaughnessy. It, yeah, he, he submitted his second consistently ballot. And this comes on the heels of his only Derek Jeter ballot. Um, and he's kind of making this out to be some sort of weird protest that only he understands. And, you know, fine. Kent has a valid Hall of Fame case. 
It's not like he's voting for, you know, Papelbon or someone that's that's going to be their only vote. Yeah. So at least he's doing that. But he also, back in 2013, essentially, you know, paraphrased based off of what other people have tweeted out that were there or overheard, went up to Ortiz and said, I know you're using PEDs. You're from the Dominican. So six of the seven Boston Globe writers voted for Ortiz for the hall. The one that didn't, Shaughnessy, who happens to be the one that went up to Ortiz and said, I know you're dirty. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm going to ask this question and then I'm going to back away because I am a BBWA member. And I know there's a lot of discussion every time that there's a one ballot guy or sorry, a one name ballot guy or a zero name ballot guy that should the BBWAA be voting for the Hall of Fame? You know, and, you know, I may be biased, but I say, sure, who else are you going to have do it? But I'd love for both your takes on that. Are Is the voting system antiquated now because of guys like you just mentioned, Dave, that, uh, you know, really make it so biased in their own mind? No, I'm going to let you go first, man. For me, uh, as you said, who else is going to vote for? I mean, you have either writers or do you go broadcasters? I don't think so. I mean, are there some that are more than worthy or even past broadcasters who are more than worthy of voting for it? Absolutely. Vin Scully? Okay. But then you have, uh, for example, uh, John Sterling, where... He uh, is known to have the Yankees pom-poms out a few times where, especially with former players who are broadcasters, how are you expecting them to be objective? And that's the thing where if you just have the BBWAA doing it, and really if you just have any entity doing it, you're going to have some people that are not completely objective. And, for a color analyst for a team who, for example, if he played with this player X five years ago, okay, he's probably going to vote for him even even if he doesn't deserve it. We saw that even with the Veterans Committee yeah. where Harold Baines got in. Harold Baines should not be a Hall of Famer. There's a reason why he was actually one of those players that dropped off the ballot fairly quickly. But when you need eight votes of 12 people and you have the Orioles owner and Baines played for the Orioles, you have his former teammate with the Orioles, Roberto Alomar on there. You have his former manager of the White Sox in uh, Tony La Russa. And actually it wasn't the Orioles owner. It was the White Sox owner, Jerry Reinsdorf and Baines played with the White Sox and it was the Orioles GM, Pat Gillick. So there's, there's four people right there that voted for him. He got exactly eight votes. So there's half of your votes right there. Yeah. Should he be in? No. But the, you had those four people who were biased for him, and he got in. So, I mean, there's no uh, – this is the thing that sometimes baseball fans don't understand is not everything's perfect. You aren't going to have – everything fall in line. I mean, there's a reason why it, it's baseball. I mean, you aren't going to have a pitcher go 
33 and 0 on a season and you aren't going to have a batter hit a thousand for the season and you aren't going to have a team go 162 and 0. It's baseball. I, you, you aren't going to have everything be perfect. And guess what? It's life too. Everything's not yeah. perfect. Well, and, and I think there's going to be bias creep in no matter who you are, but Dave would love your thoughts on subjects as well, man. So I've thought about this and I think I have an, a solution. You get the original ballot, all right? You have 30 guys, you know, or maybe even add a few more because there were players that could have been on the ballot this year that just weren't included. Take those 30, 40 players, put it to a fan vote to get down to the final 10. One vote, one email address. That's it. You can only vote the one time per email address. If someone wants to go and create 150 email addresses to go and vote for AJ Brzezinski, good for you. But you, know, you can vote to up to 10 guys. You can submit a blank ballot if you really want to burn an email address for it. <laughs> but fan vote up until November 1st. Then the top 10 move on to the BBWAA. Put those 10 on a ballot. You have to vote for one. 75% gets you in. If the no one gets to 75%, the top two vote getters are inducted. That's what I think it should be. I, I like that. So now it's a good spin on it for sure. You know, and and fans could play a role in it as well, which I think baseball needs more fan interaction, especially after this mess with lockouts going on right now. You know, and one of the things that I see... Yeah, baseball seems to do an incredible job of not using their fan base properly. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think you hit on a good point is that so many... I've read already, so many BBWA voters have said, you know, I had to pick 10. And so guys drop off the ballot because there's a limit. And I think that that is one of the worst things about the ballot, you know, my opinion for what that's worth. Uh, I think I think you should be able to vote for 30 guys on there if you want to. And you can see it now with some of the people that are losing votes. Um, like Tim Hudson's lost three votes. And, you know, he, he barely stayed on the ballot for a second year because, by one vote. He's lost three because people can't fit him on the ballot. Yeah. He might not get a third year because the 10-player uh, rule. No, what do you think about that, man? I mean, for me personally, 100% agree uh, for, for my ballot for fan sided. I won't say exactly who was on there, at least right this second, maybe even, even in the second segment, I'll say. But um, there's, there's a lot of guys who I would consider if I didn't have a 10-player limit. Yeah. And if you look like, for example, at uh, Baseball Reference, they have... If you look at the Hall of Fame ballot, they have this thing called Hall of Fame M and it's uh, Bill James Hall of Fame monitor and it measures the uh, it, it attempts to measure how likely a player is to be elected and over 100 is likely under 100 is less like look at this year. There's 17 guys that are 107 or above and there's uh few more at 95 or above so it's actually 21 guys that are 95 or above on that you know it's it's a good point there's a lot of debate to it we're gonna pick it back up after the break because i'm gonna play devil's advocate on the whole 10 player limit here in just a moment here on the rocks file rockies report 
And we are back, Kevin Henry, alongside my Rocks Pile co-editor, a co-expert, I should say, Noah Yingling, and Call the Pen co-expert, Dave Hill. So glad to have these two guys on today. You know, before the break, we were talking about the 10-player limit and how it keeps the ballot, you know, from being everybody voted on. And I'm wondering, guys, playing devil's advocate, does the 10-player limit keep it to a Hall of Fame versus a Hall of Very Good? You know, we we talked about Harold Baines a little bit before the break and how very questionable if he should be in the Hall of Fame. Do you guys feel like that voting limitations to 10 only keep the, the hall from getting too big? Dave, would love your thoughts. It's already too big. Okay. There's probably 40, 45 players that I feel are in the Hall of Fame that should not be. Um, and that doesn't even include the commissioners and owners that have no business being in the hall either. Um, personally, my fan-sided ballot had six players. Okay. But I'm also a very small hall guy, so yeah. yeah. And and small hall guys, there's a lot of those out there, and and absolutely, you know. Then the Hall of Fame versus, you know, as I said before, the Hall of Very Good. And no, which way do you lean, man? I'm curious. I lean more of the big hall, but I do agree with David that there there there's some guys in there. It's just like, how in the hell did they get in there? It's like, for example. There's one Hall of Famer in particular, his name and David, I know you being a uh, old baseball fan, Rabbit Moranville. You look at his uh, his numbers and he got in in 1954 with 82, uh, 83 percent of the vote. And you look at his comparisons and you're like, really? I mean, some of them are Hall of Famers, but then some of them are the guys that he's similar to, like. Ozzie Smith, Luis Aparicio, they weren't great offensively, but they were good defensively. But I mean, they're he's similar to Burt Campanaris, Omar Vizquel, who coincidentally, Omar Vizquel was my favorite player growing up. He's not a Hall of Famer. Um, Dave Concepcion, g- good player, not a Hall of Famer. Where at least for me, especially in this era, they're so they're so undervalued. Part of it is because of the uh, steroid era. But if you look percentage wise, especially like pre-1950, you're looking at probably four or five percent of the players at the time that were Hall of Famers. And now you're looking one percent, maybe even less. And again, part of it is because of the steroids. But some of the guys like I mentioned in the first segment, Kenny Lofton. He, to me at least, he fairly clear cut. He's a Hall of Famer, but he fell off the ballot first year. Another example, and this is a Cleveland example as well. Albert Bell. Okay, media didn't like him, so off the ballot he goes. Yeah, Bell now, had the hip trouble, which yeah, cut his yeah. career short. Yeah, he didn't have a long career, but when you're hitting forty homers and more than forty homers and more than hundred RBI for a decade. And in 95, he hit 50 home, more than 50 homers, more than 50 doubles in a strike shortened season. And he should have won the MVP that year, too. But he didn't because he wasn't the most media friendly person. Yeah. Well, you know, no, you trashed an old time baseball player here. So I almost feel like I've got to have Dave uh, throw in his two cents. on that. <laughs> <we move> on. <laughs> okay. So the thing with Moranville 
he really had a couple of things going for him. He was the key of the 1914 Miracle Braves that came from like dead last at the end of July to win the World Series. He was also essentially uh, the best feeling shortstop of his day. So that got him a few points with, you know, with the old timers on the committees. Moranville also died of a heart attack in 1954. So that's part of why he got pushed into the hall in 55 because of the, oh, hey, he's dead. You know, he was a really good defensive guy. He was such a key part of this. Yeah. <laughs> so that I feel all of that is how he got in. To me, Moranville is kind of like an early day Bill Mazeroski because Moranville was also very good offensively in the 1914 World Series. There you go. And it's funny you mentioned Mazeroski because he was the next guy I was going to mention. Of If he didn't a, hit the home run to win the 1960 World Series, he's not a Hall of Famer. Take a look at Mazeroski's numbers and look at Frank White's numbers and tell me the difference. Yeah, they're, they're the same player. Yeah. Bill Russell, same player. Chris Spire, Jim Fergosi, Royce Clayton. Oh, now you're talking Rockies there. Come on now. I mean, Royce Clayton is not a Hall of Famer. Rockies legend Royce Clayton. Is that what you're saying? Come on. Yes. <laughs> Bill Garner, Terry Pendleton, Gary Templeton. They're not Hall of Famers. They're they're good players. Not a Hall of Fame. All good versus the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, it would be remiss of us to have a Rocks Pile Rockies report and not talk anything Rockies. And obviously there has not been much go on with the Rockies except for a personnel announcement about Sterling Monfort uh, being elevated in a position with the team. It has been met with a lot of skepticism, uh, calls of nepotism. There has been a lot of scathing things around the league. Uh, you know, and by writers all over the country said, and Dave, I've got to say, you're one of those guys. Yeah. Um, as I titled the article about that, nepotism is not going to save the Rockies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least Sterling Montford worked his way up. You know, at least he, like, he wasn't just handed this job straight out of college with his father saying, yeah, you can do it. Yeah. But at the same time, you can't tell me that there's not someone more qualified from anywhere else, including within the organization, to be taking this over. Yeah. The last name just smacks of nepotism. As it is, this is a very, I call it an incestuous organization because they just don't hire from outside. Yeah. Their new GM is the guy that was in charge of their uh, draft for 17 years got the interim position and literally did nothing at the trade deadline. How was that a successful audition? Yeah. But then again, ownership seems to think that, yeah, we just need to keep the same core of this 71 team and we're going to magically make the playoffs. Now let's ignore the fact that, you know, we have the giants that won 107 games. We have the Dodgers that are literally going to spend half a billion dollars if they need to on payroll to win a world championship. There's the Padres who on paper are probably the second best team in that division. At least Arizona figured out, hey, we kind of need to rebuild here, even if it's a soft rebuild. 
I don't understand what the Rockies are doing, and Sterling Montford is just the latest example. And, and I'm of the opinion that what happens after the lockout for the Rockies and what Bill Schmidt can do after the lockout will make a huge determination on the future of this franchise. You know, we know darn good and well that the Rockies aren't going to be able to fix all the holes that they've got. It's physically impossible for that to happen. Noah and I have talked about that numerous times on this podcast. But there has to be some different, something different done. And Noah, I know you and I have talked so often, you know, is, is a Castellanos enough? Is a Schwarber enough? And, and I don't know that either one of those are going to happen, but I still think the Rockies have to do something for the fan base to go, okay, that's different. Yeah, that's what they have to do. And I honestly think, and this, this might actually be an article coming out soon, of are the Rockies going to use the lockout as an excuse to, oh, we didn't have time to do anything. Sorry. Here's here's your here's your team. Have fun. I mean, fans aren't going to deal with that. Now, is Coors Field still going to be packed? Sure, but uh, it's not going to be as packed when the Pirates are in town, because, for example, the Pirates fans aren't going to travel. It's going to be the transplants in Colorado who are Dodgers fans, Padres fans, Giants fans, and fans of other teams especially in the west or central but back on with Montford I mean there's with the Rockies uh, I mean like we said okay at least he does have have experience with the team but for example Patrick Saunders of the Denver Post had an article about it and he talked with a quote, longtime veteran of the major league scouting industry. And that person said, quote, Sterling has earned a reputation as a diligent hard worker, but I think he's out over his skis. I mean, Dick Monfort owns the club so he can promote his son if he wants to. But Sterling's only been doing this for eight years. And if his dad wasn't the owner, I don't know if he would be hired in the industry. For me, this is another example of the Rockies only looking inside for their uh, inside their own organization. And with hiring Bill Schmidt, they said originally we plan totally intended to go outside of the organization to hire, but they decided to go with Bill Schmidt, who is the interim. I know when you talked with Greg Fiesel, the Rockies president, and then with Schmidt in Arizona, the final season of the year. Fiesel yep. was asked, why did you decide to go with Schmidt and what made him prove himself? And we had an article on that. And Fiesel said, quote, he would go down to the clubhouse before every game and talk to players, talk to coaches, spend time with Buddy Black, go see Rocky's head trainer, Keith Duggar. And then he goes down after the game. I've been around a long time. And I mean, he does that every single game. I never told him to do that. Dick Monfort never told him to do that. You can just see things coming together. Did you see, uh, did you guys see things kind of start coming together? I mean, how many times do you need to get hit in the face with a bat to see it's coming together? Yeah. That was our intent to go outside, but he just proved himself. And, and let me add just some context to that quote, because it was something that was really important 
that I don't think made it in the stories that went out. Because again, I was in the room in Arizona when, when that quote was made. And a lot of it had to do, think back to the road Rockies of last year and how poorly that team played at the start of the season. And then while Colorado was preparing for the All-Star game, the Rockies went into San Diego and won a series against the Padres. It went very much under the radar. And looking back, it was probably the start of the crumble for the Padres at that point. It really was. But the, the Rockies did much better, not going to say great, but much better on the road after the All-Star break. And a lot of that was attributed to the way that um, – uh, Schmidt kind of pulled the team together. They all worked together, you know, even despite the whole trade deadline thing with Story and Gray and everything else. You know, there's a lot of credit that's been given to Schmidt for the way that the Rockies played after the break on the road. Now, I'm not saying that that is deserved credit, but I'm going to tell you, sitting in Arizona, that was a prevailing thought is this team is a better road team now than it was at the start of the season. And that's not just a coincidence. There yeah. you go. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it's the same thing where we talked about during the year where, okay, after after it was after the Pirate Series, so roughly around Memorial Day, they were 500 team. Yeah. But that's not a playoff contending team, especially in the NL West. No, absolutely. So are they better? Sure. And is Schmidt an improvement over Jeff Breidich? Sure. But you really couldn't have gotten worse. So, yeah, I was about to say, one of the asterisk trash cans would have been an improvement over Breitage. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. So, I mean, yeah, you got somebody else in there, but you could have picked, of the 330 million people in this country, you really couldn't have gotten somebody that was worse than Breitage for the job. So, <laughs> so, yeah, sure, you made an improvement, but how much? We'll see this year. Yeah. And Dave, so I'm going to ask you, while we've got you here, do you have an off-season prediction for the Rockies? Do you see somebody that maybe they go out and surprise people by getting? The guy that makes sense to me is Jorge Soler. Okay. Like, I don't think his market is going to be really what a lot of people expect it to be, despite the, uh, the postseason run, um, despite the World Series heroics. I, he caught fire with the Braves. Absolutely caught fire. He had that one great season with the Royals. That's really it. Now, this is, you know, he's someone that's going to hit some bombs. You put him in Colorado, in that ballpark, he's going to hit his home runs. He's going to give you a middle of the lineup bat. He also might hit 220. Yeah. He's going to strike out a ton. Yeah, maybe if it's a one year deal, you have to catch him on a hot year. But, I think Soler's a guy that's going to get a three-year deal, and I think he's a guy that just makes a ton of sense with what the Rockies need in the lineup. And if they're looking to prove that they're not just going to bring in their own guys or bring back their own guys like they did with Chassine, Soler's the type of guy that they will probably end up getting. It won't be a Castellanos or anyone huge like that. And, and it fits in with what the Rockies have said they're going to try to get because they said the outfield needs more power. And obviously, yeah. that's the guy right there who could provide it. But as you said, I, it, it almost feels like a guy that they've already got in a Sam Hilliard who can hit the ball a mile when he connects. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. 
albeit a you know, slightly different position. <laughs> a little bit. You know. <laughs> uh hey noah uh, any final thoughts man as we wrap up we've, we've kind of gone all over the board today uh solaire would be an interesting addition but he hasn't played left field since 2017 he's played right field so uh, now the rockies have said they don't want an a person just to be an exclusive dh so that's something to consider with solaire too is see can he play left or do they have to move charlie blackman over to left but I do have to say, and we've talked about this before, whoever they add, or they, they have to add somebody to the outfield. And I can tell you, despite of what people with the purple pom-poms will tell you, Ryan Mel Tapia is not a good player. And he's, he's shown it. Now, are there some instances where he's had great, like, for example, in 2020, okay, he hit 321, but he pounded the ball into the ground. In 2021, he hit 273, but he pounded the ball into the ground. In 2019, he hit 275, but he pounded the ball into the ground. In 2018, he only played a few games. He hit 200, but he pounded the ball into the ground. He's done that for six years now. That's not going to change. So expecting him to become a, a, a hitter that will hit, uh, not hit it into the ground and expect him to become a 20-homer threat is not going to happen. The Rockies need a 30-homer threat, not Rymel Tapia. No, absolutely not. Dave, man, it has been great to have you on. It's nice to have a different uh, change of pace here and a different opinion coming uh, from outside of uh, Rockies Twitter here. So thanks for being on, man. Anytime, man. Noah, as always, good to see you, my friend, and uh, looking forward to reading your stuff. By the way, make sure... You get on call of the pen. Make sure you're reading what Dave has to say because there is nobody who pumps out more content in this world than David Hill. I'm just telling you right now. So make sure you're checking him out. Make sure Noah gets a lot of love on Rock Spa because he has come up with trade targets from every MLB team with the Rockies. It was a fantastic series, man. And kudos to you for finishing that off. And I have to say with David, too, he has a regular full-time job as well. So I, if you don't already know this, David – but I, I think that means you're clinically insane. If I have free time, I start to go stir crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, as always, we're going to keep up with the Rockies. We're going to keep up with what's going on all over Major League Baseball. We're going to bring you great guests, and we're going to make sure that we keep you informed. So to uh, for my friends, Dave Hill and for Noah Yingling, Kevin Henry signing off. And as always, go Rockies. <laughs>